0: Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 7 and see if we can cover the two sections remaining before we get to our Lord's crying regarding the gift of the Holy Spirit in verses 37 through 39, which will be next Lord's Day. In verses 25 through 36, we have the Jews confused first by the origin of the Lord Jesus Christ, in verses 25 through 31, they're confused about where he came from. And then in verses 32 through 36, where he's going. And we know both. Amen. We know both completely, thoroughly. Where he came from and where he went and that he's coming back. We know, what, we know all that. And we should rejoice in how much we've been taught by the Lord about his son. First section, verses 25 through 31, the Jews confused about the origin of Jesus Christ. He has ended his rebuke of their hypocrisy in verses 19 through 24. So we take up at verse 25. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Confusion. Confusion about the origin of the Lord Jesus Christ. In some limited time, let's go quickly through these verses. We're not confused. So, all we want to do is grasp the exchange between his audience and the Lord himself and some of these statements that he makes. Verse 25 Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? The Jews of Jerusalem knew that the Jewish leadership wanted to kill Jesus because they were familiar with what happened in John chapter 5. Jews from the countryside or those from Galilee wouldn't have been as familiar with those evil intentions as those of Jerusalem were. Is not this He? Isn't this Jesus of Nazareth, the one that came and healed the impotent man and did it on the Sabbath day? And the impotent man walked with his bed on the Sabbath day and they wanted to kill him and then he answered about God being his father and they wanted to kill him more? Isn't this the one? And that's verse 25. They recognized Jesus of Nazareth as the man their rulers were seeking to kill midway through the feast, while Jesus preached boldly in their temple. Verse 26, But lo, he speaketh boldly. They recognize what we recognize. He was a bold preacher. And they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Have the rulers converted? They're concluding this because he has stood in the temple unharmed and no one has come to stop him from speaking and he is saying some pretty strong things like, verse 19, yet none of you keepeth the law. you know. And then he criticizes them for their circumcision and their violation of the Sabbath day. And he's speaking boldly about it and nothing is happening. So they're, drawing, they're trying to draw a conclusion in their confused minds And once the Lord blinds a person, remember, this generation of Jews was one of the most blinded group of people ever in the history of the world. Isaiah 6, where Isaiah saw the glory of Christ in a prophecy, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, that wonderful prophecy, where who who will go for us and whom shall I send? Here am I, send me, Isaiah said. But then the Lord told him that he was going to pour out blindness on Israel And Isaiah said, for how long? Until that nation is wasted. But I'll leave a tenth, and it will be a seed, and it will be a generation for my people in that nation. That prophecy is quoted over and over and over. That's the prophecy Jesus quoted in Matthew 13, defending his use of parables in hiding the truth from the Jewish people. It's repeated. Paul used it in Acts chapter 28 when the leadership of the Jews in Rome came to meet with him and he explained the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of Jesus Christ to them and they didn't want to believe it and he said, be careful, if you, you're, going to, you're going to make a choice right now either to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ or you will fulfill the prophecy of blindness on this nation out of Isaiah 6. So there was a great deal of confusion and so when we read these verses we're wondering, listen, they just said, who goeth about to kill thee? isn't this the one that they're going about to kill? There's confusion, and there's different groups of Jews. There's Jews from Jerusalem, we're told so in this 25th verse, and there's Jews that would have come from Galilee, along with the brothers of our Lord. Verse 26, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing. Do the rulers know, indeed, that this is the very Christ? Are they leaving him alone because they have received enough evidence now that this is the Christ, this is the Messiah? A foolish and hasty conclusion they draw that the rulers have changed their opinion. The rulers are going to show their colors very shortly. They're going to send officers to take him. Those officers will not get him, and they will seek to lay hold on him, but it wasn't his time yet, so they couldn't touch him. And that's, part, that's a, an example of the Lord taking care of his own, just like he can take care of us in the way that we had Psalm 27 presented to us today, that when it's not our time... The Lord will protect us, protected David. God had to get David in the throne of Israel for 40 years. There wasn't going to, nothing was going to happen to him by the hands of Saul or the Philistines. He was going to be on the throne. And there would be successors to David all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's on his throne today. His secret entry to Jerusalem, our Lord did come secretly, and delayed preaching, not till the middle of the feast, may have surprised the Jews because they backed off on their seeking for him when he didn't show up in the first few days to their visual observance. Verse 27, here's, here's this group of Jews. Hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Our leaders want to kill him. But they're not doing anything. They must think he's the Messiah. But we know he's not the Messiah because we know where he's from, we know his origin, And we're not going to know the origin of the real Messiah. Okay, That's verse 27. Let's read it. How be it, in disagreement with any idea of our rulers, in thinking Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, how be it we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. We're not going to know certain things about the the Messiah that is prophesied to come. But we know all about this man. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, no, they didn't. And when we look at the word whence, it can mean from where, meaning a geographical location or spot, a place. But it also means the origin, source, being or existence of a thing. And we want to keep that in mind. They're talking more than just we know his hometown They're talking about the origin of Messiah is going to have some mysterious aspects to it, but there's no mysterious aspects to the life of Jesus of Nazareth. We know them all, and they're wrong. I am not going to trouble you with a word study of the word whence, but all the verses of the New Testament have been sorted by meaning birth or residence or a place or a location versus the cause or the source or the origin or the reason of a thing. And that is what they're dealing with more than just a few specific traits or location items about the Messiah, because they did know those and they did understand them. I want John 7 can be a little confusing. If you jump ahead to verse 42, or let's get 41 as well, others said... In John 7 41, other Jews said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So notice, these Jews are saying there are at least two things that we know about Messiah. He has to be a descendant of David and he has to come out of the town of Bethlehem. So back here in verse 27 when they say, no man knoweth whence the real Messiah is, they're talking about more than his father and his birthplace. They're talking about his real origin because there are verses in the Old Testament that they were aware of like this. Therefore, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Like Psalm 110 He shall be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, yet he's David's Lord and from David's loins. In the same psalm. Like Isaiah 53 in verse 8, their confusion about who shall declare his generation. So you understand those verses confuse them, thinking that they didn't know anything about the Messiah, but they did know the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, because when the wise men came to Herod and said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? How long did it take the Jews to answer? About one second. They said, In Bethlehem of Ephratah of Judah. Because, and they quoted Micah 5.2. But even Micah 5.2 is hard to handle for a Jew that didn't want to believe in Jesus of Nazareth and didn't know the details of his life because Micah 5.2 says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So, in that prophecy, though they knew that prophecy and they knew it applied to the Messiah, and they knew that it said his birthplace was Bethlehem, they didn't know how to deal with his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. His eternal nature because we know he had two natures a human nature born in Bethlehem that didn't stay there very long but Joseph took him down into Egypt to save him from Herod and then when he came back they didn't live in Bethlehem they lived in Nazareth so as far as the Jews were concerned Jesus had only grown up in Nazareth of Galilee and so they only they only thought of him as coming out of Galilee and being a Galilean and they forgot all about Bethlehem but we didn't because we have the word of God you know much we have written down they those were his people that was his nation. The Messiah was to come to them, for them, and they should have known everything about him. We know. Gentiles. Gentiles. And there'll be an ensign of the people. Isaiah 11, there'll be an ensign for the people in that day. And you know who the people are that that flock to that ensign? Us Gentiles. As I told you last Lord's Day, Paul quoted that passage from Isaiah 11. It's Isaiah 11.10, he quoted it. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 12. Back to John 7. Verse 27. How be it, this can't be the Christ. This can't be the Messiah. I don't care what our rulers are saying or or doing. They're confused. They're wrong. We know this man, whence he is. We know Jesus of Nazareth. Joseph is his father, Nazareth is his hometown. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Have we heard that one before in the Gospel of John? Well, it didn't come out of Nazareth. He just moved there. Joseph moved there when he was, you know, a couple years old at least. Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. We choose the latter definition that the Jews are playing on the word whence, referring to his origin, his cause, the reason for his existence and behind him, instead of just his birthplace because they know his birthplace, or they think they do it, but they're wrong. Do you see the confusion by not knowing the truth? And we know it all. He was born at Bethlehem, raised at Nazareth. Joseph was his legal father, but not his biological father, because God was his biological father, and Mary was the virgin mother, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7. We know it all! By the grace of God! We're foolish, stupid Gentiles! Do you know what we did in the history of our race? The kind of gods we worshipped, I don't care what nation you want to be from. It was horrible. No light. The darkness of the heathen, the pagans of the Bible, the world, the whole world was in darkness. We were part of it, but he's called us out of it. And we should rejoice as we see the confusion by the Jews about their Messiah, who is our Messiah as well, and wasn't theirs at least those that didn't believe on him. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, "'Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. There is more to me that you're not admitting right now. You know there's more to me, and you do know me. And it's more than just that I'm from Nazareth. And it's more than Joseph is my father.' That's what you want to limit me to, but you know there's more than that. Let me share some other words with you. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said unto him, We know that thou art a man come from God, because no man can do these miracles that thou doest. Each chapter we have met people that believed on Jesus, that believed on Jesus as a good man with power from God, but not as the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, there's more about me that you know. You just don't want to admit it right now. You want to reduce me to Jesus, the son of Joseph, out of Nazareth. And you think that you've got me boxed and pegged because you know that. But there's more about me that you know. In the previous chapter, in the region of Galilee, why was that huge crowd following Jesus where he had to feed the multitude of 5,000? Because they saw the miracles of healing. Then they saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and they wanted to make him king. Is that believing on him? Is that knowing him to a certain degree? But was it knowing him as Messiah? No. They did not submit to him as the Son of God nor to the prophesied and promised Messiah. They rejected him. They turned and went away. And so Jesus says all that in this verse this way. You know more about me Than just Nazareth and Joseph. You know whence I am, that there's more. I'm a man come from God. I'm doing things that an ordinary man can't do and hasn't done. And Jesus using a coordinating conjunction showing us that this should not be taken ironically nor rhetorically as a question. You ought to see the commentators try to handle 27 and 28. They put question marks in 28 to make it a question, it's not a question. It's a statement, and that little and is a coordinating conjunction. There's not irony here, because the middle clause, the third clause of the five in verse 28, and I'm sorry about what I'm saying right now, but just tr- I'll get off it shortly. And I am not come of myself. Those were true words of Jesus Christ about himself. And so there's not irony here. He's saying, you know some things about me that you're not owning up to right now. There's more about my origin than just Joseph and Nazareth. I'm a man come from God at least. And the reason you don't, me, don't know me better is because you don't know God. Because if you don't know God, you're not going to know his son. And if you don't know his son, you're not going to know God. That is taught in the Gospels by Jesus Christ. Right. Remember back in John chapter 6, if you just flip back one page, hopefully, in your Bible, it says in verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. But these people didn't, because you don't know God. They didn't really know God. And you know, the Jews prided themselves on knowing God more than any people on earth. They had more ceremonies and offerings and sacrifices and priesthood and scripture and scripture reading and scripture wearing. They did everything to say that they knew God, but they didn't know him. And therefore, because of that blindness, they didn't know his son Jesus Christ, though there were things about Jesus Christ that gave him away as being from God. Ye both know me and you know whence I am. And he's not not saying, good job, guys, for knowing that Joseph is my father and Nazareth is my town. He's saying more than that. He's referring to that fact that they alluded to in the second half of verse 27 that there was more to the origin of Messiah than just natural descent. I'm leaving it. Verse 29, I'm sorry. There's there's an outline for you to look at if you want to go through some of the torture I did. And I say that with all due reverence for God's word. But there are places in God's word that are harder than other places. And the consequence in those two verses is not great. Because we're not confused about any aspect of this. We, oh, we're so blessed. Amen. Yes. Amen. Who's the virgin's mother? Nay, what's her name? Yes. The Virgin Mary, you, 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 you take that lightly, don't you? That you know the name of the Virgin of Isaiah 7:14? That is not to be taken lightly. We right. know her name. Do you know her cousin's name? Elizabeth. Oh, you do. do you know her son, do you know that cousin's son's name? John. John. Oh. it was his dad's name. Do you know the family tree of Jesus' mother? Do you know the family tree of Jesus' legal father? Do you know the family tree of his divine nature? Yeah, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Do you know that you know all those things? Was he born in Bethlehem? Was he out of Galilee? No, he wasn't. He was out of Bethlehem of Ephrata of Judah. Why didn't they? They should have asked him. They should have checked his records. Where were you born? Birth certificate. Bethlehem. They want to keep whining about what good thing can come out of Nazareth. There's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. Oh, let's see. Verse 52. Same chapter, John 7, we don't have to go far. Verse 52, Nicodemus opens his mouth and shouldn't have, but he did. Nicodemus, the one that came to Jesus in John chapter 3, speaks up in verse 50. Nicodemus saith unto them, that is, these rulers that want to kill Jesus. And it tells us, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answer, implied, we don't care about our law. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Are you just sticking up for him because you're one of those backwoods Galilean rednecks from up there around Nazareth? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. But he didn't arise out of Galilee. He arose out of Bethlehem, the city of David, because he was the son of David on both counts, legally and biologically by his father and by his mother and by his perceived father. It is not wrong to call Joseph the father of Jesus in context of the New Testament or Joseph and Mary the parents of Jesus because they were legally considered that. And so it says that in our King James Bibles. Verse 29, but I know him. He has just told these Jews in verse 29 in the last two clauses, he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. You do not know God. This is how Jesus preached. That is hard language. Whom ye know not. To a Jew, that you don't know Jehovah, that you don't know your God? Jesus had declared these very facts to similar Jerusalem Jews. And he would declare them. Knowing the Son is to know the Father. Knowing the Father is to know the Son. Jesus preached boldly. He's the ultimate pattern, declaring them unbelievers. Life is too short. The Son of God is too important. We need to believe. We need to be told we're not believing. If you read Isaiah 58 last night, what did the first two verses go like? The first verse. Lift up the gospel trumpet and tell my people their sins. Remember that? Did you read that last night? That's preaching. It's not entertaining. It's not storytelling. It's not all comfort. Cry aloud. Spare not. Listen to the words. Jesus fulfilled this so perfectly. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. And Jesus did that. You you claim Moses' law, but none of you keepeth Moses' law. Judge Judge righteous judgment. Don't judge by the appearance. You don't know God, whom ye know not. And by not knowing God, they did not have the light and revelation from God to know his son, Jesus Christ, because they go hand in hand. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Have you you heard us pray by design for uh, many months now? Lord, thank you for glorifying thyself to us and through us. We're thankful for God revealing himself to us in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, hath shined in our hearts. To show the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of prepositional phrases, but it says in Jesus Christ we see the glory of God and he's been revealed to us by the same power that said let there be light in Genesis chapter 1 and there was light. Right, James? Yes, brother. We were in darkness. And he said let there be light. And he said live. And we live and we have light, and he's the life of light. He's the the light of life to us. But not to these, whom ye know not, but I know him. Jesus describing his own relationship with his Father I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. And he has said that repeatedly. He said it in John chapter 5, he said it in John 6, he's already said it here in John chapter 7. Then they sought to take him. What would you do if you knew the things that were known, even by these men, that he was a man come from God and he was doing miracles that no one had ever done before in Israel and he said that he was from God, wouldn't you want to ask a question, where in the world does the rabid hatred come from in these men of his own nation to want to kill a countryman who has done only good in his three-year ministry to this point? This is September, October of the year before the Passover in spring that he died. Three years. John summarizes things differently than the other three Gospels. Amazing. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. We have in our hearts, we want to, what does one brother say? And that brother better be listening right now. And your wife, Teresa, better be sitting beside you. If you're not in a truck driving around with me in your pocket, listening to me through your smartphone. You're the one that wanted to tear the door off the hinges, put it on two sawhorses and make it a table for Jesus Christ to come through and not have to knock on a door from Revelation 3.20. That's the kind of zeal we all want to have in our hearts. I I just kind of like that. Instead of Jesus having to knock, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. It's not for salvation, it's for fellowship and joy and excitement with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's rip the door off its hinges and put it on a couple sawhorses and pour the wine and bring out the bread and commune with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our opportunity right now. You can wish that you can get out of here for to do something crazy, to do something w- foolish, to do something vain that will vex your spirit and provide no benefit for you spiritually or you can love the one that's coming for us soon. Women have waited for years while their husbands or their boyfriends or fiancés have been fighting in battles in ancient times or modern times, waiting for them, waiting for any little word about what's happening to them. We know everything about him. He's written it to us. He's promised to come. And you know, those promises that those boys made, kissing and hugging their wives goodbye as they had to get on a troop train, to be taken to a ship, to go to the other side of the earth, when they promised that they would come back, every woman knew that they couldn't guarantee that promise. But we have one that is promised, and it's guaranteed promise, and he's coming back for us. And it is gonna be, it's going to be better than a ticker tape parade in New York City when Jesus Christ comes back. You won't have little pieces of paper falling around you He's going to melt this place with fervent heat. He's going to be with his mighty angels. By the way, when we just sang that song, he is God Sabaoth. I just want to make sure, because we've had the Sabbath as part of our lesson today, that word from the Hebrew, Sabaoth, has nothing to do with the Sabbath. It means he is God of hosts. He is the general and captain and leader of the armies of heaven. Sabaoth, the host, Lord of Sabaoth, Lord of hosts the armies of heaven of the angels. We know so much. I'm so thankful. I want you to be thankful with me and to rejoice in Jesus Christ, our Savior. The confusion. They wanted to kill him. Then they sought to take him. We want to take him. We want to take him him into our church. We want to take him into our homes. We want to sit and commune with him. We want him to show us the scriptures. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. He wasn't ready to die on the cross yet. It was still six months away, and he died in the perfect time, and everything was laid out for him. And when he wanted to be taken, he laid down his life and he let them take him. He went and found them in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't wait for them to come and find him. He went and said, Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he first little pass didn't work out too well for them, because when he said, I am he, they fell backward to the ground. But they were so rabid in their hatred against him, and they'll be rabid in their hatred against you, because he said, the servant is not greater than the master. If they've hated me, the master, they're certainly going to hate you, the servants. And if if you live, did you hear something this morning from a young man that stood in this pulpit about Psalm 27? when he, he quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And he said, if you're not suffering persecution, you better check it out. One of the reasons could be that you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Because if you live godly in Christ Jesus, that means you're being like him and following him, you're going to get in trouble with those around us. They're going to be like these rabid haters of Jesus Christ. Many of the people believed on him. Really. Many of the people believed on him, just like the believers we've met so far. They didn't really believe on him. Look at their confusion. When Christ cometh, well, is he the Christ or not? Believe on him. Peter didn't ever say anything like this. When Peter wanted to say that he believed in Jesus the Christ, you know what it sounded like? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure That thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. That's just back a few verses in John chapter 6, in the last four verses. Many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? This man? He wasn't just this man. This was the Son of God. This was the promised Messiah. This is Christ. Philip went and got Nathaniel. I have found the Christ. Andrew went and got Peter. I have found the Christ. He didn't go and say to them, let's go check and compare miracles. Maybe this could be the Christ. There was more knowledge. I want want to condition you for understanding the rest of this gospel that there are groups that Jesus meets that believe on him, but Jesus did not commit himself to them, chapter 2. Jesus drove them all away, chapter 6. These are confused because you're going to need that. And it's to help us understand what John meant for the purpose of his writing. That she might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he might have life in his name. Our belief in Jesus Christ can't have doubts or confusion about it. It needs to be certain and sure like Peter's was. That is the evidence of eternal life. And so we don't want to allow ourselves, yes, I believe in Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus and sing it and walk out the door. We want to compare ourselves so that we are not the seekers like John 6. We are not the believers like John 2. We are not the confused ones like John 7. Verse 32, next section, his destination. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles? And teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? And that ends a section because the next section is very different about the giving of the gift of the Holy Ghost. But here we are at verse 32, and let's quickly look at these verses. The Pharisees heard that the people were having questions and confusion. And and considering the fact that Jesus might be the Christ, they, they considered it up there in verse 26, that maybe the rulers have changed their minds about Jesus of Nazareth. They considered again here in 31, the Pharisees don't want anything like this going on of anyone being converted to believe on Jesus Christ. So they send officers to take Jesus Christ. And that's the way it's always been. The religious arm uses the civil arm to do their dirty work for them. In the dark ages of Europe, oftentimes, usually, the Roman Catholic Church used the armies and the kings of the nations that submitted themselves to Rome to go do the dirty work of the Inquisition and to perform the trials and the executions for the church. And we are thankful to live in a nation that separates church and state in such a way that there is no state church. Where the civil arm is the arm of the church. We're blessed. We're blessed. You say, I know, but what if the state church were the Baptist church? Uh, Yeah, right. How many times has that happened? Never. How many times has it been close? Never. So let's not worry about that. So we're happy to have that kind of separation of church and state that doesn't mean the state isn't religious because all of our fathers were many of our fathers were religious in the past it's just that there is no state church and the sword of the state is not the sword of the church if the sword of the state becomes the sword of the church we're always going to be in the minority and we're in serious trouble so we like that separation we want religious liberty because we're always going to be in a minority. So when we have laws that protect Muslims, not terrorists, Muslims and Mormons, they're both confused heretics. When we have laws that protect Muslims and Mormons, that they also, those laws protect us. And it's worked for a few hundred years in this nation with great profit for the churches of Jesus Christ. We have no fear, of our civil authorities coming at us or a state church coming after us. We're very blessed. You know, those men that brought that Baptist church from Kittery, Maine, down to Charlestown, South Carolina, back in 1690, when they did that, they left a state church, which was the Congregationalists, which had imprisoned their pastor and fined him for preaching against infant baptism. They came to a state where your taxes supported the Episcopal or Church of England minister, but you weren't put in prison for putting your church sign next to theirs that said Antipedo Baptist Church of Christ. You didn't go to prison for it, but you still paid taxes to support the ministry of the Church of England because it was the State Church of South Carolina, and they made that calculated decision, we can prosper in South Carolina, let's go. And they came all the way down. That's the first Baptist church in the south. And it's the first Baptist church of Georgetown today. And if you go visit Dr. Leland, that's where he grew up in that church. Verse 33. I didn't violate any HIPAA law. Verse 33. They answered him, Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Jesus knew when he said this that they were going to be confused by it, because all they could think was naturally. They did not know about the Lord Jesus Christ that he had come down from heaven. He had told them. He had told them repeatedly. The Father sent me. I have come down from heaven to do his will, and I'm going to leave, and you're not going to be able to find me. And they could only think naturally, where is he going to go? If he goes back to Galilee, we've got our people there. They're going to spot him in Galilee. They're going to spot him in Nazareth. Where is he going to go? Is he going to go to the dispersion among the Gentiles? Is he going to go to all the, the, the ten tribes and how they were scattered abroad by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and are in all the nations of the Mediterranean region of the world, and we're not going to be able to find him because he's going to be teaching Gentiles out there? They're confused. We're not confused a bit. We know his origin and we know his destination. They knew neither. And they wanted to kill him for the things that he said. And we want to love him for the things that he said, because he told us where he came from, that he's from God, that he fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. He's in heaven. He's coming for us soon to take us to be to heaven, to be with God and him forever. And we know all that. Yet a little while am I with you. And how long? Six months. And then I go unto him that sent me. That is the ascension, one of my favorite doctrines in the Bible that is so ignored today. You know, today is their so-called Easter Sunday about the resurrection, but there's an event bigger and better than the resurrection. It's the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. It's one thing to be raised from the dead. Other men were raised from the dead, but how about ascending up into heaven and sitting down at God's right hand? And the Bible tells us about it over and over and over and over again. If you want to find it, it's, one, it's, a, it's a sermon on our website. He ascended up on high is the title of it. Do you remember the great mystery of godliness? According to 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up into glory. Amen. Acts chapter 1, the apostles are all standing there because Jesus levitated. He rose up into the clouds. Angels appeared and said, men of Galilee. Why are you staring up into heaven? That same Jesus that you've seen taken up from you is going to come in the like manner, and he is coming for us. And when he ascended up out of their sight, if you want to, I've told you this over and over again, it's just beautiful. He ascended up out of their sight in Acts chapter 1, then he appeared in Revelation chapter 5. Because Revelation chapter 5 is John getting a glimpse of heaven when Jesus arrived there because they sang a new song. They sang a new song about the arrival of Jesus Christ who had laid down his life. So he rose up in in Acts chapter 1 and we get a picture of him arriving in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. Yet a little while, six months am I with you, then I go unto him that sent me. Verse 34, ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. I'll be in heaven and you won't be able to be there. You're going to be looking for me and you'll not find me. And these unbelievers that he's talking to, you know, that did not understand who he was. When you go read Matthew chapter 24, I just want to give you this as as to realize the importance that they put on a Christ to deliver them from the Romans. When you go to Matthew chapter 24 and you look at verses four and five, you look at verse 11, you go down into the twenties, you find three different times that Jesus warned there will be false prophets talking about a false Christ and telling you that he's there He's over here. They're all looking for a Christ because they're all looking for a deliverer. They're looking for a Messiah to come and save them from the Romans that have captured their city of Jerusalem and are about to level it. You'll be looking for me, but it'll be too late. I'll be long gone. And where I am, you can't come and you won't get me. Jesus Christ destroyed the nation. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me. And whence I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, in, in their confusion, in verse 35, among themselves, whither will he go that we shall not find him? Is he going to be across the Mediterranean and in other nations of the world to the dispersed among us, are the Jews that have been dispersed abroad by the Assyrians and Babylonians and teach them? What manner of saying is this that he said, ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? charismatics and especially futurists always want to interpret the Bible literally literally naturally if you want to interpret the Bible literally and naturally you'll end up just like these men confused if you'll be looking for the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he knew that these people wouldn't understand he spoke in parables that they wouldn't understand He said, destroy this, as he walked in the temple, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And he said it took over 46 years to build this thing. He meant something spiritual. They could only think of it naturally. He called himself bread. It just confused them. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. In the previous chapter, brethren, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to invite him in and to have fellowship with him and to believe on him and to obey him and to love him and to say like Peter said. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. We know what those words mean, and we know what these words mean. They took them literally and naturally and missed so much about him, but we know all these things about him, and he's coming again. For the Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout. Paul said he received these things of the Lord Jesus of what was going to happen next. The Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm going to go away in a little while. He's going to say the very same thing to his apostles in John 13. And they're not going to understand him until later. Look at John 13. I'll close right now. Make me. John 13. Help me. John 13. Little children. Verse thirty-three Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, but they did come later, didn't they? At the moment of death our spirits are with the Lord. And when we're resurrected, we're with the Lord. But he was going to leave them. But brethren, he's going to he's going to tell something that's very beautiful in the next three verses of John chapter 7, that he's going to send them the Holy Ghost that will be with them forever. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, Jesus left in six months, we're 2,000 years later, and yet we have the presence of God with us for the last 2,000 years in his churches, with his people, uh, with his believers, and he's with us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for showing us the Lord Jesus Christ help us to love him. My dear, my dear brothers and sisters, we started off today with Ephesians 624. Grace be unto all them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. We know where Jesus came from. We know where Jesus went. We know where Jesus is. We know what he is doing. We know he is coming back. We know what will happen when he comes back. Do you love him in sincerity? Don't let the rest of this day suck away from you the things that we've seen, sung, heard, prayed, and done today. The world, your flesh, and the devil will do everything they can to confuse you. Don't let it happen. Let's keep our hearts with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Let us follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. And Lord Jesus, you are always welcome in this church. Come and dwell with us forever by your spirit and take us home to glory as soon as you can according to the will of your father in heaven. Amen.